1: We discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones.
2: Hello,
3: I'm Cheryl Jones and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that come from loss. I hope you know how much I appreciate you, the listeners, for joining me each week. Let me know what you're thinking by emailing me or communicating with me on Facebook, Twitter, Google Plus, or LinkedIn. Today I'm welcoming Nancy Sabanya, MA. Nancy is a minister and teacher of the Diamond Approach, guiding people in their inner journey of self-discovery in the Bay Area and Europe. She's also a grief counselor and educator, and the producer and director of the film, The Gifts of Grief. She presents this highly acclaimed educational documentary at conferences, churches, retreats, and hospices worldwide. Nancy has been working in the field of death and bereavement for the past 28 years, and you can learn more at her website, www.giftsofgrief.com. Nancy, thanks for being here today. Thank you, Cheryl. I'm really happy to be a part of this. Uh, It's wonderful to have you. Mm. I'd like to start with a quote from Vinny, one of the people in your beautiful film. He said, grief's okay. Can we accept that? I don't want to pay the price anymore for not accepting it.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and it, it that sort of summed up for me what what your film resonated with and, and what the show is about as well, inviting grief in. Um, how did you come to make a film? To I feel your film does that. It invites mm-hmm. us into grief. Mm-hmm. How did you decide to go in the film direction?
4: Well, uh, I was working at hospice for um, almost 17 years, and towards the end of my work there, I felt like it was really important, all that I was learning from the people I was counseling through grief and loss, that, you know, if we don't embrace it, if we don't find a way to actually open to and allow the grief to move through us, there's so much that we don't open to in ourselves, in ways we don't grow. And so I was really inspired by that and keep trying to support people in how to accept and embrace grief as a natural, normal part of our lives. Mm. Mm-hmm. And of
3: course, that's that's part of my mission too. So I really, I really do resonate th- with that. the The film was very poetic. I felt the people mm. you interviewed really captured, you know, their own true experience of grief um, in such amazing uh, language. Mm. Uh, and I noticed there was a commonality, even though their losses were so very different. Mm-hmm. Um, does that? Do you think the film reflects your point of view or was that what you heard, you know, did the guests kind of naturally have some things in common in terms of how they viewed their experience?
4: Well, one of the things that I learned in really working with people through the grieving process is how both unique their losses are and their experience of grief is and also how universal, you know, that grief sort of ties us and links us together in our humanity and our in our hearts. And so I've heard that through the people in the film as well and just people I've w- worked with over over time. And so it's part of what I've understood and grown to to really learn and know about grief is that, you know, it's both unique and universal and the people just shared that so beautifully in the film. You they know, were, they really did. They really did. And so I, and I, I pulled from different pieces so that that actually could be articulated and, and felt uh, specifically when people watched it. So there was some, you know, like making choices about what I edited and what I brought into the film. But as you can tell, each person's experience just spoke to what I'm talking about. Unique and universal.
3: Yes, and, and not, uh, I felt everyone really was willing to share how difficult grief is. I, mm-hmm. I'd like to play the, the clip in which Vinny talks about trying to avoid grief. Yes. Because I really think that captures that sense of, you know, there's no easy road. Mm-hmm. Um, let's listen to that now.
4: Okay.
2: When I was 17, um, I was in the world of kind of juvenile delinquency, and uh, my mom and dad were really in the throes of their addiction, and watching them do their thing, and then my mom subsequently dying was uh, one of the most difficult times of my life, It really threw me into a whirlwind of addiction, and uh, really going off the deep end, a lot of shame, and grief, and pain, and Everything that happens in that in that time when you're that age, 17 years old and full of drugs. That was a surprise to me, how far I could push it away to where I wouldn't even think about it. I would just, you know, whatever I could do to get away from that pain.
3: That just m- touches my heart, mm-hmm. you know, to be that, uh, I think having a young loss is, is a a unique kind of experience anyway, but, yes. but to uh, for him to be able to get to the point where he could have that perspective on it just moved me very much. Mm-hmm. Did, did you employ any magic to get people to talk to you so deeply?
4: <laughs> <laughs> did you say spells no. or anything? <laughs> no spells, no magic. But I did really ask the deeper questions you know I really wanted to hear from them you know what they learned and how they grew from going through loss and um, how did they get through and you know really how do you cope with something so difficult Um, and how do you bear the pain or not you know because really we live in a culture that's kind of both death denying and kind of feeling pain denying Mm -hmm. and I've really felt that, uh, you know, it's important to find some way to and some place to allow our feelings. They're so natural. They're so part of who we are and the deeper elements of who we are. So that, you know, how to encourage us to share those feelings, you know, bring them forward and bring them out um, to normalize and, and to deepen our experience as being human beings. And so I would ask from the, that place And people just shared, you know, their true, full experience.
3: Despite what I said about whether you had used magic Mm -hmm. or not, I I do sort of think, and maybe maybe you could agree or uh, maybe you have some other things to say about it, that people are actually, who've had deep losses, are um, happy to be asked, Mm -hmm. happy to be invited into Mm -hmm. that experience
4: instead of feeling they have to keep it. Keep it away. Did you find that to be true? Absolutely. It was like a gift for them to give the interview, um, to be able to share, you know, like, like I said, the depth of their experience. Because, uh, you know, our culture too, we don't have the, the kind of tribal communal uh, encouragement to really, you know, come together and share our pain, you know, speak from our pain. Uh, open to our pain, learn from our pain together. So, yes, I mean, people were really just—it was like a pleasure for them to be a part and to be able to share at that depth.
3: I can imagine that because I find too every time I talk about my own losses, mm-hmm. uh, and especially the bigger ones, you know, the real um, three hundred pound weight losses, um, it 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 moves my perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, it increases somehow the conversation inside of me as yeah. well.
4: Did you get that feedback from any of your any of your interviewees? Yes, it it's sort of what I would understand from them. It it, it took them to places like rich and deep places that they may not have discovered before in themselves. Certain strengths, certain um, understanding, certain capacities that maybe they just wouldn't have gotten to or, or known if, if those 300-pound losses didn't enter their lives. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so I really did hear that from a lot of people, the perspective changes, the, like that some kind of a shift in um, how you even see the world, yourself, life, death, loss, mm-hmm. and
3: love. And, of course, a part of that, part of what we're talking about is people being willing to actually experience it. I <clears throat> I love something that Isabel Allende said in the film. She She really moved me quite a bit. And she said, I always had the feeling before that when things got really bad, I could escape. I did that during the military coup, ran away from a marriage that wasn't working or from a job I didn't like, but I couldn't run away from my daughter in a coma for a year, mm-hmm. and that that uh, that sense of when you really can't get out of all those feelings that you have to figure out how to have them right, and kind of go
4: in to them, go in know. instead of over, yeah, <laughs> or, or around, right, right, uh-huh. Uh-huh. but really to move towards them, and you know everything in in kind of. At least it feels like in our American culture kind of supports us to kind of go around or avoid or find another way and not go directly in.
3: Skip yeah. to the transformation part. Yeah, fast. Yeah. <laughs> just go do something and get right. through it. <laughs> get over it. Yeah. Get over it. Yeah, I find that I was just talking about this recently, the paradox of um, it's the worst thing in the world. Nobody wants to imagine it. And yet when it happens, it's not supposed to really affect you for very long. Right, right. I've been thinking a lot about that paradox,
4: yeah, and that we get kind of trained that way. It's sort of like, you know, if we really learned how to uh, walk towards and and embrace and be with grief at an early age, I don't think we'd be hitting up against this piece that we're talking about right now. Yeah. You know, so we don't really, we're not learning the essentials in school, like how to actually deal with painful feelings and how to work through them and how to get support and um, allow whatever the pain is to teach us whatever we need to know and learn from. Mm. That's that's sort of an idea I I I think of a lot.
3: You know that we, it seems like in life, the loss and pain is isn't optional, but the but the growth is possible. Right. You know we may right. as well may, if we're
4: going to be here, we may as well really
3: make something of it. Yeah.
4: Well, yeah. I mean that's the that's the hope that we have that grief can bring something that I called a gift in the film that, you know, eventually going through the difficult kind of burning, you know, scorching parts of grief would actually bring some kind of new growth or new something that, you know, maybe, like I said, we, we wouldn't get to any other way. I really believe that. You know, it mm-hmm. takes you takes you kind of drops you down to your knees in a way that is so humbling and so uh, uh like deeply intimate in one's own self and own you know grappling with what you know life's about and what matters and what has meaning and um, yeah, I think it's such an important part of of growing our soul, you know deepening our our uh, inner experience,
3: and and uh, making contact with our own resiliency, maybe exactly uh, because I'm not sure any of your guests were giving the impression that they originally uh, knew how to s- sustain themselves right. in, their, in their experience, but somehow they found some ways to do that
4: right, and that's the other thing. Like you're you're actually in a way asked very dramatically by grief to find some ways to deal with it. What are your resources? How can I cope? Am I resilient? And how can I be? You know, there's like a, a way that I often talk about it as sort of like an added adjunct or something like a a different kind of gift that you are more sensitive to yourself and your needs and what can help and what, are your resources and it sort of forces you to look into that in a way that you know a lot of us kind of just keep going along and don't necessarily you know find those resources uh, until something like this happens
3: yes I I almost uh, think of the idea that at that point uh, not having loving support is worse Mm -hmm. than being embarrassed by asking right (laughs) right <laughs> <You> exactly <know. laughs> yeah, yeah the the choices become Correct. quite different under those conditions yeah
4: mm-hmm.
3: absolutely uh, you know I know that you have a quite a personal reason for having come to work with grief in your life and when we come back from the great break I really want to talk about that but can you uh, just say a little bit about it before we leave for our break mm-hmm
4: yeah um, You know, there's always a personal story. I think that all of us who do this work really come with, and it's our own, how has death and grief touched our lives? And so I was, like Vinny at 17, uh, touched by death very directly by my father going away on a camping trip and never coming home. He died of a sudden heart attack Mm. as my mother and he were camping at one of his favorite lakes. So I can say that and then I can continue. Well, when,
3: when we come town, when we come back, let's talk mm-hmm. about that more. Yeah. And listeners, during the break, go to Good Grief Host page to connect with me in whatever your favorite way is. I know I have listeners all over the world, and that's truly amazing. I just want to especially reach out to listeners in Israel and Palestine this week. Mm-hmm. It's certainly an especially grief-filled time there right now. And we'll be back after the break.
0: health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness
5: if you think you've seen online tv before
0: We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief.
3: Welcome back. This is Cheryl Jones, the host of Good Grief. You can find me at Voice America and at my website, www.weatheringgrief.com, and that link is on my host page too. Today I'm here with Nancy Sabanya, grief counselor, educator, and filmmaker who made the film The Gifts of Grief. And before the before the break, Nancy, we just began to to uh, talk about your own loss and how that led to this work so let's let's just go on with that you said your father died on a camping trip with your mother at his mm-hmm. favorite lake and you
4: weren't on the camping trip i take it no it was i had finally become old enough at 17 to stay home uh, by myself as my parents took a trip and i was all excited about that you know it was a thrilling you know finally i get to you know stay at home mm-hmm. And so I kind of scooted them out, you know, very, you know, get out, bye-bye. And and then, you know, finding out um, I was working at a a local mall at a candy store and my brother walked in uh, to the store while I was working and I saw this look on his face and he just said, it's dad. And I knew. Mm. And... You know, from that day forward, uh, you know, I really, my life was completely changed. You know, it was one of those sudden, shocking, didn't expect this. There was no signs. And I went from an innocent teenager, you know, that is just kind of, you know, carefree and happy and invincible to really, like, into major shock and really learning that life is very unpredictable and can be extremely painful and so fragile, one moment here, moment gone, Mm -hmm. Um, and death and grief became my spiritual teachers that day, Um, and really have been ever since. There's no teacher like death and loss.
3: Did you know that right away? No, <laughs> I was thinking. No. Not I. I interviewed another person who lost her parents very young, Claire Bidwell Smith, and mm-hmm. um, we talked about the the fact that developmentally, that's your time to um, be moving away,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and mm-hmm. what a disruption of your natural pace at that age to exactly. sustain such a loss of your grounding.
4: Yep, yeah. yeah, I did not learn what I really know now um, for a number of years. I, you know, I kind of catapulted into a depression and was going to go to college and then took a little time off and then went back to college and, you know, really struggled and was trying to find some way to, to actually work with the grief that I was feeling. Cause again, there weren't, there weren't really hospice support groups at that time or anything particularly available to me or my family. Yeah. And we were just the typical American family, just trying to kind of you know pick up your boots and go forward and mm. and um, so going to school and then really trying to to find ways to work with this loss and taking you know creative um, arts courses and um, co-counseling and expressive um, arts and counseling uh, drama groups and gestalt work and I started to really finally find some support and start to learn what it really this experience was for me and it really took me on a deep spiritual journey just to kind of find out what is this life what is this death and how come we're not talking about it and how come there's not support for this and you know, how did other cultures do this and work with it? And what do they know and what have they learned? And it really took me into a whole different place than most, you know, 18-year-olds.
3: And <laughs> did you find other 18-year-olds who um uh, who could, uh, you know, go
4: Relate. there with you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, not very many, I have to tell you. I felt pretty kind of isolated and alone for quite a while. I did find... A group of people in college when you know got into my 20s and 21 when I ended up going on a big um, uh, traveling journey with uh, the boyfriend at the time and um, some artists that, you know, had worked and struggled and had, you know, gone through stuff in life um, that I could relate to. But it, it was pretty lonely for the first few years and it really changed my way of relating to most of my peers. You know it just wasn't quite as easy or people didn't understand you know what where I was or how I was feeling and it was hard to communicate that and really to find that common ground. There were a couple of girlfriends I had that did have significant losses and they were like major anchors for me
2: yeah
3: that that points some to something that I think is is so um, so evident that. It's people who have also experienced loss and kind of groped their way through it mm-hmm. who most avail themselves to be there. I guess mm-hmm. they, you know they're they're not they're not they're not afraid af- afraid of that potentially because they've they're already in that place. I guess right.
4: They already know it. Yep. And they're happy yeah. to yeah. maybe have company. I suppose exactly, and to have some sense of you know the territory you know the terrain of grief and to help kind of navigate with that is just essential you know and then to have the kind of compassion and understanding of a broken heart you know and when the heart really is you know going through that kind of um pain and and hurting yes so important
3: yeah you know i thought i thought your uh interview with Loretta where she talked about pretending to be strong really captured the other side of that, uh, the pain of people not being able to be there or us ourselves not being able to let ourselves be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything more you'd like to say about that before we play that clip?
4: Uh, uh, what, go ahead and play the clip and then I'll, I'll, I'll okay. address it. Yeah, yeah let's hear so. that now.
2: Well, I think the first thing I learned was how, you know, fragile life is. Because when you were younger, or when you were doing things successfully, and you never thought that you were being vulnerable. seems like, you know, I have control over most everything. And also all my friends, you know, never look at me as being vulnerable or weak. And sometimes it's just uh, making me feel worse, you know, or angry because, you know, what I really wanted to them to really think is that I'm not strong, you know, and things are not okay. But that's a very difficult thing, you know, to tell anybody that you are not strong, that you're not okay. Because most people do the reverse. Even if they are not strong, they're not okay.
3: They pretend to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She captured that so well. That feeling of how vulnerable it is to change people's perception of your uh,
4: of your muscle, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, it would it. What it shows me and what it speaks to, um, particularly around our cultural expectations of, you know, again, we come from that kind of cowboy mentality of, you know, you just get on with it, uh, you know, and the truth is we sometimes we have no idea how to get on with it and we're flattened, like I said we're just taken down to our knees mm-hmm. and to in our lives, which we thought we could control and what we thought was um, you know, something we could handle uh, isn't, And we and we haven't learned how to handle grief, we haven't learned how to go through this experience we don't know how to, and so we're left with, you know, people seeing us in a certain perspective, certain light, and not understanding, you know, that we actually are in unknown territory um, and need guidance, need support, need help. Um, And again, we're not in a tribal kind of communal living, so we don't have that kind of naturally... um, integrated into our worlds, you know, we're, we're living so much more of a separate individual kind of nuclear family life, right? Mm -hmm. And, and so we don't have that container, that, that holding that, that allows for, you know, whoever, even the chief or the, you know, the person of the house that, that's, you know, looks the strongest, um, looks the most in control to really let them break down and, and hold them. support them so go ahead yeah well I I, it made me think how impactful it was to
3: have the the minister at glide church speaking in your film Mm -hmm. and saying we have to grieve yes because so often uh, at least in the United States the message from our religious teachers is there's no need to grieve
4: Mm
2: -hmm. mm-hmm right
3: the person has gone somewhere better Right. And um, as kind of an either or, yes. Mm-hmm,
4: exactly. so to
3: to be invited to grieve by the people who also help us spiritually, that seemed powerful to me.
4: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And how much he was speaking to how it's a part of life, you know, life and and loss are are part of all through our time on this earth. We will experience losses and how to, how to navigate that, how to work with that, how to be supported through it and learn from our losses mm-hmm. rather than be, you know, uh, devastated or again, denying it as if it doesn't really um, shape us or change us or, or it shouldn't be there. Yeah. Or it shouldn't be there. Yeah. Um
3: there's, there's a sense in which i come to see uh, grief as sort of a, an outgrowth of love. Absolutely. <laughs> that there's, uh, there's, what would be the reason for grief without connection? Right,
4: absolutely. Is that true. part of your thinking too? It's something that I'm always sharing with people at workshops or when I show the film or whatever about the... The integral interweaving of love and loss and that, you know, we couldn't feel the depth of our sorrow if we didn't also have that, that deep love and feel that connection and this, you know, the suffering of that, the letting go of that, the, the shift and change of that and how important it is also to remember that love as we're going through loss because it is the container; it is what, what is holding all of it, mm-hmm. you know. Because the if there wasn't that love, you know, we wouldn't experience this kind of vulnerability, this this real raw uh, loss. This yes, this sense of where are you?
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
4: And how bittersweet that is, you know that that love and loss are so, so intertwined. And yet, how much we can appreciate as well, have more pr- appreciation too, of of what we love um, in the losing, yeah, and then learning about that for the all that we love, because everything we love is going to be lost. Mm-hmm. We will lose. And so to bring that appreciation into the love and the connections that we have now part of the gifts of of grieving you know um
3: even as a person who lost someone well into my adulthood Mm -hmm. when when my wife died i find that my relationship to her and my perspective on her uh continues to change Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know that, that uh Death doesn't end a relationship, as I've heard it said. It <laughs> no. uh, just ends a body. Right. Um, and, and I'm curious, you know, when you lose someone so young, when, you know, you haven't yet known them as an adult, mm-hmm. uh, how does how does that unfold for you with your father?
4: Well, it's been a really amazing process over the years. I, I've written letters to him uh, through different junctures of my life. It's probably been about five years since I've written the last one. So my thread goes through the letters and then sharing what I would really want him to know or ask questions or, or just, you know, connect with him in some way. And the other place that I really feel him in this unique relationship that continues on n- no matter how long it's been and for the rest of my days is through nature, like my father was a big fisherman and camper and loved the outdoors and really just instilled that in my life. And so that's a part of what I continue to live in and with my brother and my family that, and my uh, friends and loved ones um, and feel the connection with him still there. Mm. So you find your unique ways. Everybody seems to. You know, and I, you know, I have an altar, and I have pictures, and I do grief rituals, and I always bring a picture of him, and and share on some level about you know who he was and what is still um, a part of me um, that I feel is is an expression of him and the love I have for him.
3: Are your family members uh, open? You know, some families. Uh, I actually have worked with people often whose families the person died and then they never want to hear the name again, mm. or the, you know, uh, and that seems so brutal to yes. me. <laughs> to me, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you have the benefit of being able to talk with your, uh, you know, to hear about him from your mother,
4: for instance? Yes, and yes, <laughs> eventually. And it took a, took a little time for that to really kind of open up. And it was my curiosity and my interest and in my um, uh, availability to my feelings that helped that happen. So in a way, um, from me really wanting to share about my father and know more about him and asking the questions and you know, really coming to my mom with that or my brothers, um, it helped them to open up. And to be willing, and so now there's much more ease and openness. And you know, we talk about my dad uh, pretty on a regular basis still to this day, and it's been since
2: 1976.
4: Mm-hmm. My mom's visiting today, and we already talked about him, you know, <laughs> earlier. And you know, it's just a it's a beautiful way to continue to let that love live because absolutely people die, the love doesn't. Well, and the other thing is it's
3: never too late for a door to crack open on that. Exactly, never. It's it could time be
4: 30 years later. 30
3: years later, exactly. It's time for our second break. Okay. So in these few minutes, be sure to go to my host page, Good Grief at VoiceAmerica.com com or my website www.weatheringgrief.com I'm available for individual and couples therapy in the San Francisco Bay Area I also have an online platform for anywhere in California and for speaking and consulting and you can learn more about Nancy Sabania's work by going to www.giftsofgrief.com Be back
4: soon
0: Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
5: If you think you've seen online TV before,
0: Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief.
3: Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Nancy Sabanya, whose wonderful film, The Gifts of Grief, has been used to educate people here and in Europe about the realities of grieving. Um, I, I thought Alana in your film captured something mm-hmm. of what I feel when she said this. It's like opening a window or more like blowing a whole house down. It's a new way of seeing and appreciating. You taste more, you see more, you laugh more, love more, do more, do less. You're more courageous. It's going to a place that once you're there, there's a whole new landscape.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, that really captured something for me, and I I was laughing at myself with the do more, do less. It could be one <laughs> or the other, <laughs> depending. It's true. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, But probably less of the things that... Uh, if you can, less of the things that don't mean anything to you, right, right, if and you really can afford more, that,
4: yeah, and more of the things that really matter.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: You know, that's mm-hmm. a part of grief that I think is is really actually quite beautiful. Like I talk about it as you know, the sort of grief burns away what you know really doesn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. It kind of takes us way down to you know what's important. What do I value? What matters? You know, and it's, it it brings you there in a way that you know not too many other experiences does. And so, yes, when Alana was speaking to that, you know, how to to find that for ourselves when when grief is in our face, you know. And And, go ahead.
3: And I found for myself that that's a a life change. Yes, it's not a um, an experience, and then you just go back to the way things were. Mm -hmm. It's a
4: change of viewpoint, exactly, and perspective. And And again, it and it tells us and shows us by our living it, right? Living that new perspective—that's the growth. That's where you know there's really something new is forming a new perspective, a new way of living, a new way of learning and loving. And grief and death and loss can, can bring that to us um, if we can be open to it and really embrace um, the learning. How do you l- live with loss? How do you learn to live with it? Because it's with us, you know, from this day forward. Forever, yeah, for sure. Well, I also think,
3: at least for me, a person who was very a pretty anxious young person, uh, discovering that I could survive mm-hmm. the worst thing I was afraid of. Exactly. And not just survive, but I was still, still there. You know, I wasn't diminished. Right. Uh, that was. If I'm if I'm worrying about something now, I go, "Is this as big as that?" Exactly, <laughs> you
4: know, yeah, um, and, and I got through that. Yeah, so, <laughs> so I'll probably get through yeah. this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't know how quite yet, but, right. you know, I'm right. probably going to find my way. So um, really, it helps develop some kind of inner trust or something, you know, once you have gone through this kind of door, you know, of, of pain and found your way. Right, and come back even you know with new perspective and new growth and new um, eyes, and uh, it gives you some kind of really deep trust in that in in life and in an inner process Um, that probably you know again not too many things in life give us that to come through that other side like you're saying and really. And living it, see knowing. what
3: you're made of. Right, <laughs> see what you're made of. Yep. And uh, I also found that some, uh, and maybe some of your clients or you yourself have experienced this: some relationships that didn't support me, mm-hmm. but that I had tolerated mm-hmm. up to that point, yep. uh, fell away. Exactly.
4: Because yeah, it was
3: it was so obvious that that they weren't supporting me.
4: Right. The relationships weren't the relationships, or there wasn't an understanding, or you know, again, that some kind of other needs were being met, and yeah, and to be able to have that kind of courage to let go, mm. to and again to to from some way that we're learning that through going through these losses, that it brings a new kind of courage to live the life we really want that supports us and our values and what really most. Is meaningful and matters, and so some things will have to go,
3: mm-hmm.
4: you know. And then again, how learning the art of letting go of that, letting those things fall away, and maybe having to grieve that as well. People do, you know, have yeah. to grieve the loss of their friendships or whatever else that has come out of, you know, this particular significant loss that they're facing.
3: Yeah, absolutely. But mm-hmm. then on the other side, I, I have a. Short clip, also from Alana, of the way that some connections can deepen because of how someone is there for you. Right. And I'd, I'd love to play that now. Okay. That other side.
1: There's really only two ways that I know that I got through this loss. Faith and love. My brother, one day when I just, I walked in a room and... and uh, fell apart you know he helped me and just let me cry no explanations no asking questions no just let me cry
2: mm.
3: so simple but mm-hmm.
4: sometimes hard to uh, hard for people to do somehow huh? mm-hmm. yeah to be able to just be there as we go through our feelings and just hold us in that not trying to fix or change or make it better but really just be with us in our in our pain and our hurt in our uh, yeah really se- that sense of holding is so important in that connection without words yeah
3: and not trying to change anything mhm Exactly. Since it's not possible to change it yet. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know that for me, uh, you know, when I came back to therapy work after my loss, I found it much easier to work with people that were grieving a big loss mm-hmm. because uh, they weren't, um they weren't hedging their bets, I guess. Right. Very good way to say it. <laughs> you know. Well, I don't. I don't think she's right for me. Right. But God, I hate being alone. You know. Right. Whereas, no. Whereas the grievers are saying, "I can't do this anymore." Right.
4: Right. <laughs> you, know, you find that too? Yeah. Absolutely. So and there's. Again, yeah. It's that. It's that place where, you know, like it it cuts through the mask, you know, it cuts through whatever those places are that we kind of, you know, defend or hold back or you know, don't say the truth or whatever. You can't do that in grief. You know, you're, you're raw. You're vulnerable. It's like having no skin on, you know, and mm-hmm. it's just things become quite clear and quite you know, right there. And you know, and it brings us into this very human, authentic, real place, and and it's such a such a privilege to work with people at that level. Yeah, at I, was that just, I was just
3: going to ask you about your work now, and mm-hmm. and how this all shows itself, and what you're doing, you know, now, and what your dreams might be going going mm-hmm. from here forward. Mm-hmm.
4: Well. I'm not doing as much of the grief and loss work as I used to and, and it's been a little while now but the way that I actually still stay very connected to that is, is offering film screenings and doing workshops that, where the film is a kind of ed- educational tool within that and and again just trying to share and, and support people to to open the conversation and open their own eyes and and hearts to their own grief to embrace it and let it bring the gifts that it can bring to each of us. Um, so I'm I'm doing more at, at, on that level than individual mm-hmm. work at this mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's more group work. And I'm really getting very interested in um, grief ritual and have done a lot of um, different forms of that in my own workshops, but also um, with, uh, you know, Sabam Fusome. And, uh, oh,
3: yes. I, I, he's been on my mind this whole hour. Oh, Isn't that yeah. interesting?
4: <laughs> and yeah, Francis Weller is another person who I'm going to be doing some work with who also does grief ritual and um, more communal and working with not just our own personal losses, but also the losses that we're um, feeling as a world around the losses of the earth and the different animals and and plants and know, really feeling that more collective grief, Mm -hmm. as well as um, ancestral grief that we carry and, you know, for the whole world again, and in personally in our own generational um, ancestral lineage. And I'm just, I'm just finding that I want to kind of open it up even wider Mm. so that we're really addressing it on kind of that planetary level. Through ritual, um, so I'm excited about that and wanting to do more of that and offering more of that. And we'll be doing that in the fall and probably winter. And, and I'm people also can find out about that by going to your website. Yes, I'm assuming. yes. Anything will be up there whenever we're going to do something. And um, yes, please come to that website for those. Uh, that that was gifts of gifts of grief dot and um, I'm also uh, working on a, another series of uh, video series, having to do with grief and loss, because I feel still that we there's so much to learn from it, and still to bring more to to the to the surface and to understanding and in, and integrating it into our lives. Um, I'm looking at the losses that we often are unacknowledged or unseen or um, I'm calling the the video series Silent Sorrows.
2: Mm, beautiful, and it's,
4: beautiful and it, uh, title. Yeah, that it's not necessarily only the death losses, but what about losses like um, having depression or some kind of disability that people have to live with How about addictions and the kinds of losses that brings into our lives and the people that we love, people that have not been able to have children, Um, that kind of, it's again, more silent sorrow that people carry deeply in their lives. Um, Those kinds of changes, you know, around um, growing older and losing capacities, Um, that kind of I mean, I when I first thought of this, it was I. I wrote down just as many as I could think of. What are our unacknowledged losses? And I remember mm-hmm. just filling up, a, you know, two pages of eight and a half by <laughs> eleven, and just going, "Okay, where do I start?" And I just felt like I could start with the the places that really have touched me.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And so, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm doing. Like I'm starting. Oh,
3: that's fantastic. There.
4: And yes. I've got a few ideas about you know infertility and not having kids and addictions and that how it, that has impacts on the person who's addicted and the loved ones and you know really. so you share with me a kind of grief lens
3: where mm-hmm. where people's most difficult places do usually have to do with a loss, yeah right absolutely. you know we're we're about out of time okay. and I want to end with this beautiful quote from Loretta. Actually, I think I've become a better person as a result of this loss because I've come to understand a lot more, you know, what life is, who I am, more forgiving to myself and others. Beautiful. I love that. Nancy, thanks so much for being with me today. It was was a pleasure. pleasure. (laughs)
4: Listeners, go
3: to giftsofgrief.com to find out more. And it sounds like Nancy's got some amazing stuff coming up. I hope you'll join me next week when Melissa Dalton Bradford will be here. Melissa is an author whose latest book, On Loss and Living Onward, chronicles the loss of her oldest child. Um, and it it's also integrates a lot of other quotes from other people who've lost significant people in their lives. It's a beautiful book. Again, please go to my host page at Voice America to connect with me. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week.